It's our privilege once again to resume our series of sermons in the book of Matthew. We're going to be turning to that and hearing the preaching of the gospel from Matthew 16. But first, let's turn to some of the parallel passages, Mark chapter 8 and Luke chapter 9, and then we'll end with Mark, uh, Matthew 16. <clears throat> Mark chapter 8. In Luke chapter 9, Mark 8, specifically verses 27 through 30, hear the word of God. Now Jesus and his disciples went out of the towns of Caesarea Philippi, and on the road he asked his disciples, saying to them, who do men say that I am? So they answered, John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others one of the prophets, He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to them, You are the Christ. Then he strictly warned them that they should tell no one about him. And then Luke chapter 9, verse 18 through 21. Luke 9, 18 through 21. And it happened as he was alone praying that his disciples joined him, and he asked them, saying, Who, are the, who do the crowds say, or the people say, that I am? So they answered and said, John the Baptist, but some say Elijah, and others say that one of the old prophets has risen again. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said, The Christ of God. And he strictly warned and commanded them to tell this to no one. Then we turn to Matthew chapter 16, which is the fullest confession that Peter gives here, the fullest confession and also an elaboration of the blessing. And verses 13 through 17 will be my text tonight, though the other verses following are very much a part of this whole incident. First of all, the question that Jesus puts to his disciples in Peter's answer. Matthew 16, 13, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, who would be son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Thus far we read from the word of God, these parallel passages all one word, different perspectives of the, the amanuenses, the, the scribes, the writers of the word of God that inspired them to write of Jesus and of this great and marvelous confession of Jesus by especially the Apostle Peter representing at least 11 of the disciples. We are at this point in Jesus' ministry of what we call watershed or crisis. There has been up to this point his working a lot of miracles and teaching quite a bit, his disciples and also those 
of Judea and Galilee. And here he is in the northernmost region, um, furthest north that he's been throughout his two and a half years public ministry, 25 miles north, northeast of the Sea of Galilee, not far from Dan, which would have been that northern city of Israel, the northernmost point of the region of the people of God. And it's a rather isolated area, Caesarea Philippi is, and Jesus can sit here and pray and come away for a while, come away from the pressure of the opposition he's been receiving from the Jewish leaders especially, and instruct, <coughs> turn on to instructing his disciples in a more intimate setting. And so here he teaches them, and he would teach them what he's been teaching them all along, that he is the Messiah, and he would teach them this by listening from them a confession of his real identity as the Messiah or the Savior, the Christ of God. In addition, however, he will have this to say in the quiet of this region, Caesarea Philippi, that he is this Messiah who will suffer many things. And this we'll read of later in a future sermon. So there's this critical moment when Jesus is turning from working lots of miracles to instructing more intensely his disciples on the basics of the gospel of his identity as Messiah, and especially in what he will do to be the Messiah. The disciples need to learn that Jesus is no ordinary David or Solomon or earthly Messiah or political leader. He is the one who has come to save from sins. And so he's instructing them, and this by way of a catechesis. He asks a question and they answer it. It's kind of like a final exam. And maybe this would be a kind of a final exam that we might give the catechumens and also those who may seek to join the church. He would say to them, who do you think Jesus is? And the answer to that could tell everything. In fact, beloved, this question here that Jesus puts to his disciples after he says, who do, you say, who do men say that I am? And then he says, who do you say that I am? That question is the very most important question to be asked of us and for us to ask others in this entire year to come. In fact, in 2023, we ought to be considering not only the question, who do you say that I am, but the answer. And to answer personally, as Peter did, on behalf of the disciples, that question that needs to be answered, and that affirmation that we would make as his disciples, not at all ashamed of him, but bold to declare that this Jesus is the Messiah. So we would do this today. We would consider this word of God here. And the great question, what do we think of Jesus? In fact, I want us each to put this to ourselves personally. What shall I say Jesus is? Or who shall I say Jesus is? As he asks us the question tonight. And first of all, then, may our confession be as Peter's, an amazingly accurate adoration of a confession. An amazingly accurate adoration of a confession. The way Peter answers is like worship. Indeed, 
Secondly, that there is in this confession something revealed, everything revealed. It's a graced, revealed, personal, and ecclesiastical confession and blessedness. So Jesus pronounces beatitude. Blessed are you, Peter, for flesh and blood have not revealed it unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And yet there's something something ominous here. And I want us to be warned by this. For immediately, or not too long, after this confession, in that time Jesus began to show his disciples he must go to Jerusalem. Peter, we find, taking him aside and beginning to rebuke Jesus and saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. And Jesus, who has just commended Peter for his confession, tells Peter to get behind him, for he is as Satan. And his great confession of the gospel has merely turned into the philosophy of the devil. And so, is this confession hollow? Shall our confession be hollow? May it never be. Even as, and especially as, we contemplate the Christ of the cross. So we have Jesus asking a question. Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Or you could translate, who do men say that I am? The Son of Man? There's two ways of looking at that. Maybe they're saying that Jesus is an ordinary Son of Man, just a man. Maybe they're saying he's Messiah already because the Son of Man was a title for Messiah, according to the prophet Daniel. But Jesus wants to know. Now, it's not, of course, that he doesn't know what people are saying of him, but he's wanting to elicit, to draw out from his disciples what they've heard and to lead them into a higher confession of him, a more glorious one. And so they say altogether, some maybe say this, some say that, but they're saying this is what they say. Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And what the disciples are rehearsing here is that people have good things to say about Jesus. After all, if you're called John the Baptist, you're really someone who's very important to them. These disciples were generally um, liking John the Baptist. People were liking John the Baptist as a, a, a light in the wilderness and calling people to repent and seemingly stirring up even the leaders to repent of their sins and, and to beware that the axe might not be laid to the root of the tree and, and that the kingdom of heaven is coming. To be called John the Baptist, maybe they were thinking Jesus was the resurrected John and, and so on. Then others were saying, this is Elijah. And Elijah, according to Malachi, was the forerunner of Messiah. So maybe they're saying that if Jesus isn't John the Baptist, the real forerunner of Messiah, he's Elijah, the prophet, who would come before the great and notable day of the Lord and hail the day of Messiah. So they were saying that of Jesus, perhaps, um, without, uh, not without sincerity, and others were saying it was Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And there seems to be an allusion here 
to the, the fact that they, there's traditions in Jewry <clears throat> that Jeremiah or others would come back and be resurrected just before the Messiah came. In fact, it was said that Jeremiah had hidden the altar and the ark and that he would bring them back at the time of Messiah to restore Israel in its glory, the ark of the covenant and the altar of incense. And they had these traditions. And so to call Jesus this Jeremiah would associate him with the coming of Messiah. And certainly that was a compliment to Jesus. And Jesus had in their estimation earned this thinking from them and these compliments of them because he was such a miracle worker and so wise and spoke as one with authority and not as the scribes. You see, it is a matter of authority. Where is Jesus from? Where is he from? Who is this man? Who is this one who seems to be maybe more than a man, as some people are saying, but who seems to have confounded the whole world and the world of Jewry and turned it upside down on its head? And so they have these great things to say of him. I want to stop here and say that Jesus now turns to them and wants to get personal. He says, but who do you say that I am? He had asked about what others thought and their opinions. Now he wants to know what his disciples say. And he does this, does Jesus, because he knows they're not saying enough in the crowds and the people. Men, their confession doesn't quite cut it. It does not at all identify Jesus as he really is. But he wants to hear from these close ones to him. What is their confession of him? Now, Peter, of course, has this wonderful confession that he makes. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And this is, strikingly, not the first time that Peter has said this of Jesus, that he's the Christ, the Son of the living God. In John chapter 6, for example, after Jesus' sermon at Capernaum, Jesus, uh, after the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus says, will you also go away? And Simon Peter in John 6, 68 says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we've come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So Peter has already spoken that of Christ, so that this confession here is not hardly new, though there's some new elements about it. The other disciples as well seem to have discovered that there was something messianic about Jesus, if it was not the case, indeed, that they were thinking he was the Messiah. I'm thinking of Andrew, who said, we've, we've found the Messiah. We've found the one we're waiting for. I'm thinking of the disciples on the boat who, when they see Jesus walking in the water, they say, truly, this is the Son of God. They're saying something here of Jesus that's a remarkable confession. But Peter here is saying something that leads the way and is something on which Jesus would build in Matthew 16, when Jesus is told by Peter, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and Jesus says, blessed are you, and so on. Well, we need to understand the significance of all this, beloved. For Jesus here is really 
laying down the gauntlet, as it were, and he is telling it like it is and telling the, the disciples here that this is exactly the confession you need to hold. And he is saying that so that their confession will be distinct from the confession of those who were saying he was merely John the Baptist, merely Elijah, merely Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. For this was all rather human. These were human beings. These were just prophets. And Jesus would elicit from them that he was more than a prophet, that he was a prophet, priest, and king, the complete package, the real Messiah, and besides, that he is the son of the living God, more than a man, but very God in their midst. And so he would distinguish what the disciples ought to be saying from what the other people were saying who were not so enlightened, not so gifted, not so instructed by the Savior. But we need to know and to realize, and this puts it in the setting also of our day, that Jesus would distinguish this confession of Peter, now the Christ, the Son of the living God, from every other confession and every other opinion that people have ever had of Jesus or every non-opinion that people uh, withhold because they think Jesus is not worth thinking about or having an opinion about. Thinking of the fact that the setting in Caesarea Philippi was amazing for this kind of question and answer. Way up to the north, it was this country that was this region that was hardly populated except by Gentiles, pagans. And it was known back in the day for being a place where the Syrian pagans would worship Baal. It was also known uh, for its, a cavern that was in the midst, we're told, a deep hole, and there was water in that hole, as the birthplace of one of the mythological Greek gods called Pan. In fact, <coughs> Caesarea was called Panaeus at one point. Well, Pan is the god of nature. And so it's in this setting, when there's all these kinds of temples strewn about the place, and maybe the wreckage of temples of, of idolatry of a former day, but also the pagan gods. And in the midst of this, Jesus is commanding their attention for them to say just who he is, in distinction not only from the opinions of people, but in distinction from all the other gods and saviors that these idolaters have had. Besides that, Caesarea Philippi had the name Caesarea because it was named after Caesar. And to Caesar, in his, in his, in his being a kind of deity, there was erected a white marble altar at Caesarea that was a magnificent piece of work, but it reminded people that Caesar was to be worshipped as at least a god among many and the one to whom you give your allegiance if you are a Roman citizen or if you are properly submissive to Caesar. So you have the Greek gods, you have the Syrian gods, you have the gods of nature, you have the gods of Rome, you have the gods of mythology. They're all here in this outpost of a place. And Jesus 
has been pushed out of here by the Jews who themselves were really no better than these pagans because they were denying him as God with the people. What Jesus is doing here now is then at this watershed of a moment declaring just who he is. He is God in the flesh, and when Peter says you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, he says it so rightly. It's so perfect. You are the Christ. You, the Christ, the Christ, not one, the Christ, the Son of the God, the living one. That's how he puts it in the Greek language. Everything's emphatic. There is this one unique being in our midst, and we've been following these year, him these years. He's the one who's worked the miracles. He's the one who's instructed us in things, and this is all we can say. And this is what we're privileged to say. Jesus is the Christ, the Savior promised over 300 times in the Old Testament to come and to save Israel from their sins. And to be God with them as never God had been before in the flesh. Jesus, who is the Christ, the Son of Man, as Daniel had prophesied, and that's Jesus' favorite name for himself. Nobody else ever called him the Son of Man, but he called himself that. Daniel chapter 7. Daniel says, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man Coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. Of course, that's the kingdom of Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, Son of man. But the Christ of God, the Christos, the Mashiach, the anointed one, filled without measure of the Holy Spirit of God, empowered, authorized to go to the damned, himself to be damned and cursed, that we might never be this Jesus. God with us. Wonderful, lovely God with us. So high. and shows his greatness and his highness in coming so low to be with us to die for us, to rise for us. So this is an amazingly accurate adoration of a confession. Adoration, I say, because Peter is loving his Savior here. It's Peter bold, Peter brash, to be sure. Later on, he will show himself so inconsistent and so fickle. But right now, we would say he's being blessed so much, he's almost beside himself. He's saying something here that is impossible for others to have an opinion of without being touched by the Holy Spirit to make this opinion, to make this de declaration, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. In distinction from Pan... In distinction from Caesar, in distinction from Baal, is Jesus, the son of the living God, the only God, 
the God who lives and reigns forever. Amazingly accurate adoration of a confession. And it had to be revealed, of course. My second point had to be revealed because Peter's just a sinner. And we're just sinners. And there's no way we can make such a confession except it be revealed to us. Understand that, beloved? When we confess our faith here every Sunday night, we confess it, and it's like a form of a confession. And we speak to others of Jesus, and we speak to one another of Jesus. That's a work of grace and of God. Be thankful for that. Sometimes I think we look too much to big things, like big words and highfalutin oratory, and to the theologians who write great tombs about these things, sell lots of books, as if these were the things that really are blessed. But our confession, our little words, our attitudes, the small fruits in our lives that nobody sees but People know these are works of grace too. But here we have this, this amazing truth that Jesus says, which is so important for this text and for us to understand the origination of it. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. You see, when Jesus is saying, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, Jonas, it's not to your praise that I'm saying this, but it's truly for your blessing. And you're not going to get credit for this, Simon, because it's truly from heaven. It's not from you. What Jesus is doing is directing Peter and all who hear and us to the source of our religion and our confession and our life of Christ. It's not us. It's not all our studies, it's not all our scholarship, it's not that we have a certain lineage that gets us to say we love Jesus, but it's God himself who reveals truth. That's a work of grace. Revelation is at its heart a work of grace. Jesus would say that blessed are the babes, Not the wise and prudent, but the babes to whom the things of Christ are revealed. And and the idea here, of course, is that to Simon, it's been revealed through the teaching of Jesus. That's why he's able to confess these things. Not necessarily a special revelation that he's having here, though that could be that he's referring to this at this moment as a flash of light in the mind of Peter, and he can say these things because, as I said, he said them before. It might not be a special thing, but here is this culmination of, of the five semesters, as we would say, in the school of Jesus, two and a half years. And they've been following him around, and they've been learning from him. And this is what now, in this final exam, Peter says as his only answer, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's from heaven. That's from God. Not flesh and blood. Not man. That's what flesh and blood stands for most often in the Bible. Flesh and blood. You're born not of flesh and blood or of the will of man, but of God and grace and the Holy Spirit. Confessions come from God. They flow from the fount of his predestinating decree to save us. They, they flow from the fount of the blood that Jesus will shed. It's all of grace. That's the only way a man could be blessed. To have grace shown to him. Or a woman could be blessed. Grace shown to her. Now you think of it in our day. Beloved, to you it's been revealed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Is that your happiness? Who are people saying Jesus is in your life? Who are you saying Jesus is in your life? With words and deeds. Basically, the question is, after all of these years of instruction, most of you, many years of instruction at Jesus' feet, in Jesus' church, what is Jesus to you? And basically what he's saying is, in the northern reaches of Israel, in the hinterlands, or in the UP, wherever you are, on Grand Rapids, he's saying, what am I among all the temples that litter the area? And the gods of the temples, what am I among all of the culture's mythological gods and forces and superheroes? How do I compare in your estimation to them? But what's your answer? Write it down. Hand it in. No. Say it right now. Jesus is the Christ, my Christ, the Son of the living God. Did you say that? Jesus here is eliciting a personal confession. He says to the plurality of the disciples, what do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? The idea of the plurality here is that Jesus would have every one of us answer what do you and 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 you say that I am? Not leaving one of us out or one of the hearers on the internet out is Jesus. Jesus commands our attention. He commands that we have not only a, an opinion of him, an estimation of him, but, but a conviction about him. And that 
in the midst of the sea of gods, in the midst of all the choices, the religious grab bag of messiahs, who do you say Jesus is? That's the question of the day. Who are we going to say Jesus is today? And what's that going to look like today and tomorrow and the next day? All the way to December 31, 2023, and then for another year, if Jesus tarries. What shall we say? The question comes with power and authority. You must answer it. You must answer it. And you must show, and I must show, that we really mean it. So when Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, Blessed are you, and you, and you, happy, filled, fulfilled as a Christian. You know that. You don't just know it here, you know it here. In all your struggles, all your trials, this year, Jesus has called me blessed. Jesus has called me blessed. I'm his. I've said of him, he's the Christ, the son of the living God. But he's said of me, you're forgiven. You're mine. You're not your own. You don't belong to your past. You don't belong to some guy or some gal or some habit, or some thing. You belong to Jesus, precious Savior. And that's my only comfort in life and in death. And it's the greatest thing. Don't you love Jesus? Sadly, there's this almost ominous foreboding in the light of the context here. Because from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he might, must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things and be killed and raised the third day. And then Peter takes him aside and says, No, Lord. Far be it from you, and Jesus calls him Satan. Just like that. Mountaintops of faith into the pit of hell. Oh, beloved. And I mean that. Beloved. May you be spared the roller coaster ride of instability. May the word of God be your stability and your peace this year. And 
The stability comes, of course, from heaven and from the knowledge that Jesus the Christ is this kind of a Christ, and this is what Peter was lacking here in his understanding. So were the rest. Don't just blame Peter. They didn't understand what that meant that Jesus was the Christ. Immediately, Jesus speaks of suffering. Jesus speaks of having to do this and die and rise again. And Peter says, no way, Lord. That's not what success is all about. That's not what David was all about and Solomon was all about. That's not what Caesar's all about. That's not what victory is for Israel. Not suffering and dying. What a waste. You see how terrible this is. This almost three days later after this confession, complete apostasy. You'd say that of the church that one day confessed Christ and the next day said, we're just going to take D.C. by storm and that's how we're going to cause the kingdom to come. Beloved, it's about the blood. Our confession of Jesus. It's about the blood. And the kingdom that comes not with observation. It's not of this world. It's of our following Jesus to his cross, believing in his cross, glorying in his cross, and then taking up our cross as Jesus will show later on. Amazing. People of God, you confess Jesus, and it's going to kill you. I warn you? No, I promise you. For a good killing, the only form of killing that is good, that is the denial of the old man, that is only form of Godly killing of oneself, a denial of the old man, crucifixion of the flesh. That's what it means, all because Jesus must be crucified. It's striking here, it's almost as if Peter is this encapsulation, this this one who stands for all of Israel, Remember at the day of Palm Sunday, all of Israel and Jerusalem, they they gather at the foot of the Mount of Olives and at the top of Mount of Olives, and they see Jesus and they escort Jesus into the city, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of, of God, and so on. Hosanna to the highest, they're praising him. That's the crowd, but they have no idea what Jesus is all about, and four or five days later, they're crying, crucify him. It's almost as if this has happened to Peter. To humble him, there he is confessing to Christ, and now Christ tells him what it means, and he doesn't get it. He's back to the school of beginners. And beloved, again, let's not be too hard on Peter or the disciples because Peter would need the instruction of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had to be poured out 
They all had to be persuaded in their hearts that this instruction of Jesus isn't exactly the thing that is necessary for there to be this thing called the gospel of Jesus, the good news. Jesus must die for sinners, you and for me. He must, he must be that kind of a savior. And only that son of the living God, that eternal God, who can bear the weight of the wrath of God is necessary for us and adequate for us to be saved from our sins. Peter's confession rings kind of hollow then. After a couple of days and after then there's this test, the test of the cross, that has always been the litmus, litmus test of whether you be a true believer or not. You believe in Jesus' cross in his death for sin, sinners, his blood? Or do you believe in the merits of man, or you believe in the free will of man? Whatever you believe, if you don't believe the cross, you're not worthy of being called a Christian and a follower of Jesus. May it never be of us, beloved. This year, beginning in this day, in this house, Jesus is asking us the question, what do you think of me? Who do you think that I am? What is your answer? Amen. Our Father, we pray that you would bless us in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, our Savior, the living knowledge, hard by the cross, Lord, May we be hard by the cross, in the shadow of it, and always in the light of it, living, glorying in it, preaching Christ crucified, knowing the fruits of that great one who died for sinners and rose for them. Lord, we pray then to give you all the glory. And we pray that indeed his kingdom may come, he may come so that every eye that's pierced him will have to acknowledge that he is the great and eternal God, our Savior. And every knee shall bow to him who deserves all glory, to the glory of God the Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.